0: Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the High Performance Mindset. Welcome to episode 405. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and thank you so much for joining me here today. If you know that your mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place because each and every week we explore various topics related to mindset. And this week I had the honor of interviewing Lonnie Lawrence. Now, Dr. Lawrence is the Director of Wellness and Clinical Services for the New York Football Giants. Prior to joining the Giants, Dr. Lonnie was a clinical and sports psychologist at the University of Southern California. Her background in both sport and clinical psychology has led to a unique perspective regarding the concerns of student athletes. At the University of Southern California, she provided performance enhancement training and mental health support to 21 elite NCAA Division I teams, including men's and women's basketball, track and field, and swimming. She's a licensed psychologist in the state of California and a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. In 2012, she earned her PsyD in clinical psychology with an emphasis in sports psychology from the University of Denver. And before that, she got her master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis in sports psychology from Boston University and a bachelor's in psychology from Northeastern University. So in this episode, Dr. Lani and I talk about what the best of the best do related to the mental game, strategies to reduce pressure that she learned from elite athletes and working with them. The mental game differences at the collegiate, Olympic, and professional levels, the Giants' response to the death of George Floyd, and how she personally impacted that response, why she is passionate about social justice issues, and strategies that she's implemented herself as a female of color working in professional sport. Here are two of my favorite things that she said in this episode. She said, NFL athletes have learned more to get the mental edge. Talent alone won't help you stay at the professional level. And then she also described how goals are a roadmap, but values are your compass. You can use your values when you feel lost or to help you make the right decision. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. This just helps us spread the podcast quicker and reach more and more people. If you're listening on an iPhone, for example, you can just scroll up and leave us a rating and review there. Thank you so much. Now, without further ado, let's bring on Lonnie. Lonnie, thank you so much for joining us here today on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you this Friday morning. How is everything going there?
1: Everything is great. It's, uh, it's been a busy week, so it went by quick, but certainly glad to be able to uh, spend Friday morning with you and uh, be able to get together today.
0: I know I'm really looking forward to our conversation and, uh, you know, just for people who might not be familiar with your work, maybe just start with telling us a little bit about your passion and what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, so interesting to think about different passions. I I often go back to um, like values that are really important to me, making connection with people, family, travel, stuff like that. Um, I've been really passionate about, especially in my career about, diversity and inclusion. And um, a lot of that has led to my work that I'm doing now with the Giants. So I'm currently the Director of Wellness and Clinical Services for the New York Football Giants. I've been there, actually, today is my one year anniversary. I just oh, realized. Today? Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've video. been there for, for exactly a year. Um, and it's been an inter- interesting one to say the least. But, um, but yeah, an, an amazing organization and so happy to be a part of that club.
0: Wow. Well, I look forward to hearing and talking more about your role there and, uh, you know, what led, how you you got that role, but also like what you've been doing in there and the great work you've been doing. So maybe just start us off and tell us what led you to the field of sports psychology specifically.
1: Yeah. So back in the day, I got a full scholarship playing women's basketball. For those who um, uh, haven't met me before, I'm about 6'3, I have a really long wingspan and um, played division 1 and while I was there my senior year we got a sports psychologist and he was absolutely amazing. I kind of struggled a little bit with anxiety and he was able to it was the first time I had learned about meditation, mantras, um, all of the mental skill stuff that I ended up learning. But at that time uh, the team was struggling with um, different clinical issues like substance abuse. There were some legal issues, um, relational issues. And what I realized was that, uh, that there was an opportunity to impact a team beyond just being a coach. That mm-hmm. if, uh, if I was able to learn a little bit more about sports psych, not only would i be able to impact a team but i would be able to work one-on-one a little bit more with players which i really enjoy and so after i graduated i was really fortunate and played overseas for a year just enough to travel around europe and then realize i wanted to be back home and when i came back i uh, began a program at boston university they had a master's program and as soon as i started that program i was like this is it this is this is what i want to do and after BU, I realized that the type of work I wanted to do included clinical work. Still, that I mm-hmm. that I was really invested in, in learning more how to help support athletes and um, beyond just performance. And so that led me to this ID program at University of Denver, and which is a great program, and was able to match. And got an internship at USC, where I stayed for about another, I think, eight years. So, <laughs> so it was a good, it was a good spot. But that's how I, that's how I initially really got involved in in sports psych and mm-hmm. recognizing some of the issues that came up with my team and all the different ways that one person could positively positively impact the way that both individuals and and the team overall can perform. Um, so yeah, that's how I first got started in sports psych.
0: That's that's beautiful. I'm thinking a lot about our stories. There's some overlap, although I'm not 6'3. <laughs> um, but played a role, ran cross country and track division one as well. And yep. you know, I was um, not very consistent. Mm-hmm. I wish that I would had the mental skills now. You right that I know now. I wish I yep. had that, but I saw a sports psychologist as well. Um, and that's really how I got really interested in the field. I remember getting this like runner's world magazine. My mom bought me and you know, it was a Christmas present. Um, and I would. Oh, the first article I would always turn to was like the mental training article. Like there's always one, right? Where like Kate Hayes and yep. <laughs> some um, of the people in our field were quoted. Oh geez. You know? Yeah. So we looked them up, you know, who are they? <laughs> Pretty fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do now and just how you go about doing your work.
1: Yeah, so um, what's really unique about my position is that I oversee uh, three three general areas. So one, one piece is player development. <clears throat> and when you think of um, sports psychology, mental skill training, a lot of the work that I do is embedded into those programs. So we have rookie success training that we do, where we speak to the rookies almost every day during OTAs. Um, opportunities to talk to the vets during that that time period as well. Um, and then doing programming like team cohesion, um, consulting with uh, staff and and coaches. So one one aspect is performance and and player development. The second piece is mental health. So um, helping build like the clinical referral list that I utilize with my uh, players and coaches, but also the staff. And so I provide support not only to the team, but I also do some general support to the business side as well. So that can be a little bit busy. Um, and then the third part is helping out with draft assessment. So mm-hmm. last year, attending the combine interviewing prospects, uh, there's these things called 30, 30 visits where they come to visit the um, and uh, doing individual sessions with them, helping create an assessment tool that we use within the Giants and providing feedback on that and being in some of, the, some of those meetings. So my, my scope is actually pretty, pretty large. And my hope is that it will continue to grow in terms of my department and retaining some help in all these three different areas, but it's kind of like an umbrella of all those things.
0: Yeah. And I could see, like, given you're just balancing all those three, those could be positions within itself. <laughs> <You know>? Exactly.
1: <laughs> when I interviewed, <laughs> I felt like I had to feel like, so I just, I just want to make, I just want to be clear in the beginning that hopefully at some point I'm going to get some support. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping that this will expand. And I'm like, okay, just want to <laughs> make sure that this, this is a huge, huge task. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of what, will be created, but yeah, right now, it, it, it is really interesting trying to balance all three.
0: So I think one thing that's really interesting about your work is you were at uh, US, uh, USOC for a while, right? Mm-hmm. You were at University of Southern California, so you're at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. I know you've done some work with USA Track and Field and now at the Giants. So you've got to see these different levels of sport um, tell us just a little bit about your perception of the differences.
1: Yeah. So, um, what, what's been unique about my experience is that, uh, at USC, I, I have been there for, I think about eight and a half years, almost nine, just to round off. And, uh, all the work, not necessarily with the USOC, but with USA track and field, I've been able to, um, really experience what it's like, the pressure that some of the athletes have in having instead of, you know, a a super bowl happening once a year, having to wait every four years for that one defining moment all the time. And then moving on to uh, the football level, which is a completely different type of organization than USA track and field. Um, but when it comes to performance, it's been interesting to see how the individual athletes are different on, on each of those levels. So with college, um, I don't know if it's distraction, but you have collegiate athletes who developmentally are at a different level than a professional athlete, even though there's maybe a couple of years difference between a rookie coming in and a freshman coming into college that, um, that, you know, peer relationships being such an important aspect in college, um, uh, the pressures of academics being in college and being eligible the pressures that you get from family members, from your high school team, your coach's team, to go from being one of the most successful maybe players in your high school and then taking a backseat at USC can be sometimes a challenge um, in a way that with NFL players, mm-hmm. um, those types of distractions don't typically happen. And then with um, you know some of the USA track and field athletes that I have as well, um, contracts that you get at football is just not the same um, with usa track and field and so the pressure of being able to to put food on your table to be able to get a sponsorship um, to be able to stay focused and not overwhelmed by the pressure of trying to make an olympic team um, each three of those different phases look really different because of the environment pay structure and support um, that those three groups have and so there's certainly a a bit of variety um, in between and i can go more into it, but I don't know if that kind of initially answers your question.
0: Yeah, that does answer my question, and I'm thinking about as I'm listening just how the pressures are different, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, worked with all those levels, but haven't necessarily been like with USA Track and Field to really see it in depth, but it's more like I see it at the individual level, yep. um, and you know the pressure to provide for your family or to pay your bills versus the pressure mm-hmm. to you know, do work at, you know, do well, really well in school versus like
1: Sunday
0: when you're on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what do you see in terms of like the mental game and how the mental game might be different
1: given the different circumstances? So I was actually surprised um, on the NFL level and I can't tell, I can't tell if it's because of the pandemic, guys mm-hmm. just have more time like there's less to do um you know there's um you're not socializing as much with your teammates mm-hmm. um or i can't tell if it's the way that or the type of players that the giants draft um okay. but what, what i've observed is is a really um a willingness to learn more about how to get that mental edge whether it's reading whether it's meeting with people whether it's open discussions that for the players that I know uh, there, anytime I suggest a book or anytime I print out um, information, they're constantly wanting to gather information, absorb it, learn more, discuss it, talk about it in a way that really surprised me. And I can't tell, that, I can't tell if on the collegiate level, because you're so overwhelmed by academics, yeah. it's really hard to have that space and time right. to, to consume all the information you want to help with your individual performance. Um, but that, that's one thing that actually surprised me coming in, the willingness and openness to learn more um i I also think with college athletes again there's so many things going on in terms of academics you're trying to socialize um you know you're you're at a place um mature wise where you're where you're trying to um balance interpersonal relationships there's breakups going on and so a lot of the athletes that would maybe initially come and see me wasn't necessarily performance they're coming in because of a breakup a fight that they're having with a teammate, depression, anxiety, disordered eating. And, and it's not that those things don't occur at the other levels, mm-hmm. um, but I think as you mature and get older, those issues become more stabilized and they don't feel as as urgent as they do when you're an undergrad. And so certainly the level of maturity, um, the the mental health issues that come about, and I, I, I'm kind of thinking as I'm talking out loud, I, I also believe that as you transition to becoming a professional, unfortunately is so competitive right. that if you haven't yet been able to manage some of the right. mental health issues that you had in, in college, talent alone is not gonna allow you to stay on the professional level. That there's too many people with similar talent and ability mm-hmm. that, that, that they're ready to take your spot. That, yeah. unfortunately, you you can get weeded out, for lack of a better word. yeah and So, again, those issues don't become as apparent. Now, I think there's some stat that one in five Americans have severe mental illness. And I still think that stat is true mm-hmm. um, for uh, any kind of professional level, whether it's USA track and field or NFL. So I'm not saying that there's no mental health issues sure. within those levels, but right. um, it's certainly different than... Uh, why maybe somebody's being self referred or referred in on the college level and again with i think USA track and field i think the the pressures and distractions are different than they are at the professional level and it, and again it's not to say that we don't have rookies who are struggling with um with pay or vets who are struggling with moving from team to like you probably know like you, you can be on a team for a week and then cut Absolutely. And then get sent, like, you know, across the country for a tryout. And, right. you know, so um, so it's not to say that uh, NFL players live in this utopia, <laughs> utopian <laughs> environment, right? Like, they, they experience stuff. But it's just, I think it's different than for track and field and especially for college, college athletes.
0: Yeah. Lonnie, as you're talking, I'm thinking about of a rookie who uh, I did some work with and he was... Mm-hmm struggling with some pressure from his family um, and um, it was kind of, there's a lot of distractions with his family and because he was so distracted, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't able to really show in that really short week what he could possibly could do, you exactly. know? Um, and so then he didn't make the team because it was so cutthroat in that short mm-hmm. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think college athletes have a little bit more time to like show their skills and show, Um, Mm. what they can do for the team. You know, as you were talking about Olympic athletes and just this pressure to have your one shining moment every four years, Mm -hmm. if you were talking to um, an Olympic athlete who was expressing that kind of struggle or pressure. Well, how might you um, address that? Or, you know, what are some things that your, your, you know, in your, your perspective helps athletes deal with that?
1: I mean, the one thing I'll I'll say consistently is um, remaining present Mm -hmm. and that everyone should have a goal in mind, right? And I I want everyone to be high achieving. But the journey to get to that goal, is probably going to look a lot different than what you're expecting, that there's going to be unexpected obstacles, challenges, setbacks. And everybody thinks success is the straight line when it ebbs and flows and it's up and down. And I think one way to combat those um, times of struggle is really being present and creating small goals for yourself, small achievable goals that you can um, set forth and kind of mark your your progress, something to kind of reflect on. And the more I think an athlete can be present on maximizing their practice Mm -hmm. and letting each practice build into the first race or event Yeah. maximizing as much as they can that event and having that build to whatever goal that they're setting um if you can if you can take your mental physical emotional energy and focus it and pinpoint on getting the most out of that day, and then you can stack those days up. You start building the steps that you need towards success. I feel kind of cliche in saying that, but <laughs> but, um, but I but I truly think that having um, the mental mindset of, of remaining focused is, can be really helpful. I also think um, I don't. This may not be appreciated as much, but having a positive mindset sure. can be really helpful, and mm-hmm. being hopeful even in times of struggle Mm -hmm. and remaining focused on what you're trying to accomplish can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think one of the biggest struggles I've seen is uh, for track and field athletes, them having already lost the race or the event in their mind before competing, before they even get to the line, they're concerned about where they're going to finish and, and, Instead of focusing on mm-hmm. whether it's getting into the blocks or feeling like the shot put in their hand or feeling the grip of the javelin, you know, and thinking about execution. They're already stepping ahead in the future, becoming anxious over something that hasn't, hasn't even happened yet. And, it, and to me, the ones that I've seen the most successful yeah. are the ones that are staying present and thinking about executing that one moment. So.
0: So I think everyone can relate to what you're saying, you know, um, and that takes a lot of practice in terms of staying in the present, especially in competition when you wanna do really well or it's the Olympics or the trials, Mm. right? And um, you're feeling a lot of the pressure and the um, maybe urge to think about the future a lot. In your perspective, what's the best way to train that ability to stay in the
1: present more often? Well, I, you know, I, my, my training more recently as I've entered my mid-career has been on mindfulness and yeah. practicing meditation. And I, I, to be honest, when I was in college, I didn't really understand how that was helpful. I was taking deep breaths. I wasn't it helped me fall asleep, <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, I didn't know how mm-hmm. it helped improve my focus, attention. Help me let go of negative thinking. Help me come back to positive thoughts. And uh, whenever I've worked with a team, whether it's been USC, whether it's been with USATF or with the Giants even currently, I've always encouraged meditation and mindfulness, and really emphasizing it beyond just relaxation. That when you can, get, when you are able to practice it on a con, um, consistent basis, you would think like after a couple of weeks, you start be, you start to realize. How much your mind is that jumping around, and how much, um, how, um, how distracted you can be, whether you're in practice or watching film or uh, reviewing video. And anytime that I can get my athletes to, um, to practice, participate, discuss, read about mindfulness, I think it's always been extremely helpful. Um, But the other, the other thing I think is really important too is consistency. Mm-hmm. And not all athletes are a fan of mindfulness. I, I think there's even mm-hmm. some athletes who find it actually anxiety provoking to, to sit sure. yeah. and, and, just to, and just to focus on their breath. Yeah. And so whatever routine that they find consistent, if they can reflect on a time that they've performed well before in the past and thinking about those things that they did to get themselves into the right mindset and creating a routine that is flexible, that incorporates even their values and, um, and, uh, things that prime their, their mind and their body physically, um, I think is always, always helpful. So, so staying present, being positive, being consistent, those are some of the things I, I try to preach and, you know, create a routine in.
0: That's great. Lonnie, I really like, um, and use this for a long time. I just, I love meditation apps on my phone. I really oh, like yeah. one it used to be called stop, breathe, think, and it just, uh, they just changed it to like, yes. yeah, that's, yeah. My
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it has to be my favorite meditation app i know that there's calm.com i think right. a lot of people like um headspace yeah um and yeah. i don't know if i'm allowed to promote or but, yeah. I, but I if know. i were to suggest an app okay.
0: <laughs> we're just sharing what's helpful for us <laughs>
1: okay good so yeah. if i if i were to recommend a meditation mm-hmm. app i would certainly recommend it is called my life and the yep. reason why i like it is because it it literally has you check in, it has you stop, think about how you're doing physically, mentally, emotionally, and then it's able to create um, or suggest a meditation based on how you're feeling in that present moment. And then when you do it enough, you're better able to notice your change of emotion. You're better able to change. Um, you're better able to recognize your mood and the current state that you're in. And I think what's even better when you're feeling a certain way, you have a general sense of what meditation you need to do. Like if I'm feeling down or unconfident, I know that maybe a gratitude meditation or self-compassion meditation, would be really helpful for me to engage in. And if I'm feeling a bit anxious, doing something that's focused on my physical body, like a body scan or yeah. deep breathing is really good. So I highly, if I if there's anything that people get out of this talk, It's to <laughs> download this app. Yeah,
0: I really, I've never heard anybody else say that they love it as much as I do. So yeah. uh, everyone should download it. We're not, <laughs> we're not gonna say this, you know. Exactly,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um, that's great. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to learn more about your transition to the Giants. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you guys have been doing such amazing work on racial justice. And so Mm -hmm. I'd love to learn more about your transition to uh, just the Giants in general and maybe how that started as you started your position there a year ago.
1: Yeah. So who would have thought, um, you know, a year last year, if if you think about it, we had just heard about this coronavirus, and um, I was in the midst of just meeting people from the football side, from the business side, which was great that I had the opportunity to do so and kind of see what like what normal life looks like uh, within the within the club, and uh, and then eventually was able to go to the combine and, and get that experience too. But in March, when we were all um, sent home. Uh, everybody across the league had to figure out how they were going to do OTAs sure. um, uh, virtually and how were we going to connect with our, with our rookies and our rookie program. And so, you know, the Giants being an excellent organization was able to figure this out and the virtual meetings that we we're going to have. And so we were meeting with the rookies maybe on a daily basis and our vets or the entire team maybe on a uh, twice a week. And when everything happened with George Floyd, um, for me, it was being able to communicate the importance to people within the organization of what just happened and the response that the players um, would have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I'm going to get sound tired by saying this, but the Giants are just such an organization, they immediately got it and realized that, uh, there were conversations that needed to be done and we needed to figure out how to best support, support the team. And so one of the things that the organization did was really trying to figure out how could the athletes maximize their platform and positively impact the region that we play for. And so, um, uh, Coach Judge, who's amazing thought of this idea called team of teams where the entire organization, or sorry, the team was broken up into seven different groups. Okay. And each group represented a region within the New York metro area. So one group represented East Orange, Patterson, Manhattan, Queens, New York, and they were named after different um, uh, New York, New Jersey teams. So I think the Islanders, it was like the, but it was like Staten Island Islanders because we couldn't go all the way out to Long Island. And then, you know, we had the Harlem Globetrotters, we had the Manhattan Knicks, we had the uh, Mets, which represented Queens, New York Devil, I mean, sorry, the New Jersey Devils, I think represented Newark, et cetera, et cetera. And each player or each group uh, was able to identify a nonprofit that they were gonna represent and partner with and do work. And um, for some of our players, I think, Jabril Peppers is from East Orange. And so he was able to choose a nonprofit in his hometown and Matt Pert is from the Bronx. And so there was an organization that was, you know, paired with him in the Bronx, et cetera, and the players just went with it and did such an incredible job. There was mentoring programs that they would develop meeting weekly with kids. Uh, There were partnerships with the NYPD that they would do um, and in their football league. And I have to say that all this stuff is like public. I'm not I'm not providing any insider information or anything, but but the success of that and and, and it being successful because of the amount of participation that our coaches and players did Mm -hmm. and the positive response from from the nonprofits in the communities And, and players picked, you know, um, voting registration, domestic violence, um, homelessness, like, like a, um, a whole wide range of different organizations and areas that they were passionate about. And so, you know, I think we, we are one of the teams that, um, that does kneel, not the entire team, but there are players who kneel during the national anthem. And I think one of the things that was really important for the organizations, but I think also for the players, Mm -hmm. was that they want to be able to use their platform to raise awareness around racial injustice, Mm -hmm. but also show what it looks like to make an impact Yeah. and to use their voices, not just to bring awareness, but to bring about change. And so um, being able to just be a small part of that team of teams piece was amazing. And I ultimately think that it helped um, connect players with one another because you're working with people who aren't in your position group. You're working with coaches who aren't your position coach. It brought cohesion with the team. It felt like that despite all of the negativity that was happening uh, within the beginning of the summer and all the backlash. Sure. um, That the team was able to find a way to unite and feel like that they were doing something together. And it was competitive. You know, for each team that um, there was—I I won't go, go into it—but each team was actually um, not judged. That feels a little harsh, but okay. uh, but they, but they were you know analyzed with the work that they did, and there was a prize like you know once a month of who was doing the most work. So the guys were competitive to get that you know that parking spot and everything else. So for us, it, it was just amazing to be a part of that and. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the team continues to work on that in the future.
0: Well, a few things that I'm hearing is that it did bring the team together, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But I'm so curious to learn more about how you think it impacted just awareness of racial injustice within New York or just within yeah. the United States. And I think it's it's easy for um, maybe feels, you know, just to kind of like what happened with George Floyd and the death of George Floyd, not to do anything with that as an organization. But right. I think it's incredible that um, something came from, uh, you know, like the teams of, of this- this uh, Team of teams, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How the organization
1: came together. Yeah, so um, I think it did two things. I think it, um, I believe sometimes organizations are hesitant to Mm -hmm. bring up issues they find uncomfortable right and it allowed our organization to figure out how we could become better in addressing issues of racial injustice it provided a platform for our players to really thrive and use their voice in a positive way Mm -hmm. um i think it helped um even the business side connect with the players more because they were able to to not promote it but just to shine light of the incredible work that the players are doing i mean i encourage anyone to go to giants.com and and read about like some of the stuff that they're doing because it really was each group did such a magnificent job in their own way but it really provided a way for the organization to figure out what more could we do in this area and recognizing um, what hadn't been done in the past. Mm-hmm. And some of the work that I've done has been help, um, helping create a diversity and inclusion group that really focuses on the Giants organization in doing more in this area, how staff members can participate more, what changes the organization can do. And again, I think this is all motivated by not just wanting to say we want to see a difference but really um uh walking the talk i can't think of anything that's less cliche of of really putting into policy um changes that needs to be made really thinking about how we can better show appreciation and and thoughtfulness toward diversity and inclusion, like you know, I think I don't know if this is league wide, but I know like for us, we're celebrating Juneteenth. That is a holiday for us, and for a group that doesn't get Christmas off, like a Christmas is not like an official holiday that we get off, right? Like that is hugely important, yeah. and um, and I think it's also about education, educating mm-hmm. our players, our coaches, our staff about the experiences that people have, um, whether it's racial injustice or or other underrepresented um, groups. So for us, it's been very meaningful in terms of um, shining a spotlight on us in the ways that the organization can grow, but also really being able to signify how changes can can be made. And so I think it's been well received within the community. I, I couldn't tell you I, I, don't, I, You know, I haven't read a newspaper article necessarily saying like groups being like, oh, this is amazing. But I do think sure. it's made a positive impact and something that I hope becomes a continuing legacy of what the Giants organization does within within their region. So,
0: yeah. And I'm also thinking as I'm listening about how you are helping, you know, um, to help the organization uh, really grow in this way and, you know, just changing the organization, which I think then. You help change the world, right?
1: So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a small piece, but and I have to say that there is a group of dedicated employees who find who feel so passionate about this area, and to be able to work with them, especially my first year coming in, like they don't know me from like a slice of bread with everything that's going on. But sure. to join with other employees who really want to see um, see change and seeing how how can we maximize our impact, how can we be a cornerstone of what other clubs and teams can do like it's it's exciting in a way that I would have never thought a year ago um I would be participating in
0: yeah um so I would definitely encourage people to check out and I will also put out up uh, you know more about this initiative yeah. in the show notes so if you just want to scroll down as you're listening I'll, I'll add some links there so you can learn more about what the Giants did Um, Lonnie, one of the things that a lot of people ask me, you know, is like, tell me about your experience working in football, since you're a female, I'd love to learn more about what your experiences have been and, um, you know, how working in this culture might be very different than maybe at the
1: college level or the Olympic level. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, um, especially with USA track and field, uh, you have men and women who are competing um, training, lifting together 24 seven. Um, you have, uh, female coaches coaching men. Um, and so there's a dynamic there that I now appreciate more than I could realize in terms of just the equity of seeing men and women competing and, and in the ease of that. And especially on the college level, certainly typically female athletes are um, utilizing counseling services at a higher rate than our male athletes. And while I had, um, I got the experience to work with our football team and men's basketball team, you know, when it comes to individual sessions, you you would have a little bit more of an influx of, of women, and especially in the counseling center world, the majority of professionals, um, are women, right? So coming into football, I, you know, and, and I, I had thought deeply about this and, um, and kind of knowing that it was going to be more male-centric, the concerns of it being a more heterosexist in, in environment, um, certainly concerns about maybe it being more of a homophobic environment. And for those who don't know, I, I identify as a lesbian of color. And so that was extremely important to me in being in a, in a safe environment. Um, And so in some ways, uh, the Giants are incredibly progressive, like extremely open, um, you know, uh, Coach Judge gave me and my partner a a wedding gift, you know, and maybe that shouldn't be unexpected, but like just small things like that are so important, right? Very important. Yeah. Not and all so,
0: organizations, I think, are like this in the NFL. No, I don't
1: think so either. <laughs> think and, it, so. and it and it certainly determined whether or not, you know, to go from USC to move across the country, even though I was moving closer to home, certainly came into play about how me and my wife w- would be received, right? And whether or not they would be not just even received or accepted, but like, would we be appreciated? And you know, and that's certainly the the case. So, um. With the pandemic though, and the limited amount of people who could interact with the team, um, any female employees that I was working with pre-pandemic were basically gone afterwards. It was me and one other individual who worked Mm -hmm. um, in uh, IT, I believe, were the lone females traveling with the team, being at Mm -hmm. practice, um, Mm -hmm. being in the cafeteria. And so there's certainly this element of um, um, being very aware of your your gender, your presence. Yep. And this is within an organization that, again, I feel is very progressive, very welcoming, very thoughtful about the way that they um, incorporate women into the training room. And at the same time, having concerns about whether or not um, my presence was uh, valid, whether or not suggestions or when I would consult with coaches, staff, or even players, sure. um, how much that um, consultation or feedback or information given was appreciated, viewed as knowledgeable, and I think what's constantly challenging whenever you're um, maybe a, I don't know if it's necessarily a minority, but certainly as a woman a black woman um and a concern of whether or not an interaction that you have is maybe your own misperception and concern about how you're being perceived versus a valid experience of of what somebody's projecting onto you and it can be very um energy draining yeah. If you allow yourself to kind of constantly worry or think about whether or not your words, whether or not what you're saying is being seen as valid. And that is certainly an experience I had to work through mm-hmm. and, and really being confident in myself mm-hmm. and my knowledge and what I bring. You know, I had to remind myself, you know, um, the Giants aren't going to make a hiring decision just based on being nice, right? <laughs> like they're not going to, invest (laughs) money you know or bring in someone just because they you know they want to look good or because they uh think that uh, a particular hire needs to happen they i you know i and you know i don't know how this is going to come across viewers or whoever's listening but for me i i had to remind myself of that and remind myself of the skills that i that i bring and the knowledge that i can can have. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I'm not to, and I'm not to say too, that maybe men don't experience this, that they don't experience, you know, whether or not they're being heard, but I do think it is, um, that there is some truth that people may not immediately see me as knowledgeable. They may question my role being there. They may question, um, how I can help them. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to educate and um to be able to show and showcase what i bring so that um so that i can be utilized and i certainly felt like that was that was done but it was definitely it was a hard transition initially i shouldn't say hard transition it was a transition to um be able to work through that stuff that personal stuff for me initially
0: well, first of all, that um, I appreciate everything that you just said, because I have felt similar and mm-hmm. to know that, okay, I'm not a- alone, <laughs> you know, where, where maybe you start overthinking interactions. And right. I found that's not helpful, you know, and I, you know, I, I was just thinking, I wanted to ask you, like, what have you done? And what I'm mm-hmm. hearing is just like, remind yourself of your knowledge, remind yourself that you are confident that you have Mm -hmm. the the, the knowledge and the education and the experiences to rely on and not be silent because they didn't hire you to be silent or to be a nice person or or whatever, right? They hired you to really impact the organization.
1: I mean, the one thing I I feel like I've, where I've been forced to grow is Mm -hmm. being confident in my voice and being outspoken. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I actually appreciate a lot of feedback and I, um, reached out to, to players and coaches, just receiving feedback about my, my first year. And it just made me realize, um, that the one thing I, I, I want to do more this upcoming season is, um, really just vocalizing and saying more, interacting more, sharing my knowledge, meeting more with individual players, meeting and consult- consulting with uh, coaches. Not that I didn't do that last year, but now there's now that I have a sense of how the season goes, having a year under my belt, kind of seeing the dynamics, understanding what um, the Giants organization means, what the NFL um, league is, um, doing more to reach out and connect with players and coaches and, and, and staff and that there's not a vacuum, but what's so exciting is that sports psychology has gained traction within college, but it's like still a new frontier, it feels like, with the NFL and professional teams. But there's, yeah, yeah, there's information that that players and coaches don't have yet. And resources, they're not even aware. The the apps, I have all my athletes, I've sent all of them this app to have them work on. And that's one of the things that they said has been most helpful is being able yes. to utilize and having suggestions on which one to use and, and everything else and those small things go so far because it's knowledge it's it's an area that has been untapped everybody right. has a nutritionist everybody right. has an athletic trainer and everything else but not every team has a sports psychology doing performance work right and um and not every team you know um has someone who has different specialties that I feel like I bring and when I remind myself of that, like you probably even hear it in my voice, like I get excited and feel more confident and 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 want to connect. And so those are the things that I remind myself. And for those who may be doubt or unsure about what I bring, I hope that my personality, my ability to connect, can help educate them a little bit more, you know, and, and change some minds.
0: Lonnie, what advice would you give to people who um, maybe do feel silenced or feel some similar to what you and I just described? Maybe Mm they are a minority, and um, uh, you know they might feel like they should be quiet. You know, what advice might you give them? I I think this can relate to any profession, not just in sport and performance psychology.
1: You know, I always go back to um, well, two things. I always go back to my values. I value connection. i I value education. Um, I, I value there's, there's certain things that are core to my personal life and career that I always make sure that I remind myself and try to, um, exemplify. And so for me, education, even doing this podcast, for me, it's educating other people about the experience of the NFL, of what it means to be a sports psychologist and the work. And so if you can really, if you can identify your three to five values that you can always come back to whenever you're lost, but somebody said this to me and it really stuck goals are kind of like a road map. It's like Google maps. You go from one point to another, you make a left turn or whatever, yeah. but your values is, is, is more like um, a compass when you're lost and you kind of need to point yourself in the right direction, you go back to your values and that helps you make the right decision. So that's, that's one piece. Um, the, uh, second piece is recognizing, um, your uniqueness. I think what makes me great in this role is that I'm not another random dude that the guys can talk to, I, I like one of the reasons why I think I excel on this role is because I'm different. I have a different perspective. I've not worked with other NFL teams. Um, I've worked with, uh, track and field athletes. I've worked with collegiate athletes and that provides me a different perspective that's refreshing and needed for the coaches and for the players and for the staff. And so, um, whenever I feel like, wow, like I haven't been in the league long enough. Do I really know what's going on? How can I really help if I don't know? Like they didn't bring me here because I was like everybody else. (laughs) Like they specifically brought me here because I provide a different experience, a different perspective that people can connect with me. And so if you can think about what is unique about you, what is the perspective that you can bring that is lacking within your organization or within the team or the work that you're doing, um, and, and that, that feels, um authentic, that, that again, can be your, your guide, something that you can come back to that's going to be consistently with you and help, you know, help you make decisions, uh, whether it's for yourself or for, or for the company, I think you can always, you'll always go the right way doing that. And I I have a tendency to talk a lot, but the the one thing, the one last thing I'll say is that allowed me to come to this position. If I had decided to, um, go a different route instead of training or, you know, my background was actually psychodynamic, that would have taken me a different route. But because I made decisions based on things that were important to me, it's allowed me to um, get to this point where I am now in a way that's authentic, where I can be my full self and that be appreciated and um, um, really welcomed.
0: Lonnie, what a great way to end this conversation. (laughs) I think uh, everything that you just said, I am taking in <laughs> refining myself of but I know who, you know everyone who's listening appreciated what you just said about authenticity and like uh, really finding your full self and being your full self and finding your I voice. So. so thank you so much for joining us today I'm so grateful that you described um, you know some of the things I took from today was just the differences between college Olympic and professional athletes in the mental game. Uh, I really appreciated everything you described about the Giants organization and the racial injustice work that you're helping uh, to lead there and uh, what a powerful impact that makes. And then at the end about our conversation about um, you know, just navigating a space that maybe you might be different in. So mm-hmm. how can people reach out to you or follow along if they want to yeah. learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm not a huge... Um, social media person, like So I have a Twitter, but I'm barely on it. So don't follow me on Twitter, but I do, I do actually do some stuff on, on Instagram. So if anybody wants to follow me there, uh, Dr. Lonnie underscore sports psych is probably the best way to kind of see some of the stuff I'm about. And, you know, um, if anybody wants to slide into my DMs, that's a way to contact me as well.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Lonnie. I'm so grateful for your time and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. See you next week.